Last week we talked about how we need a little Christmas. The season begins, we need a little Christmas, and sometimes it ends, where are you, Christmas, right? And somewhere in the middle of all that, we have a choice of aiming either at the gifts of Christmas or the giver. And so finding the gifts of hope, and love, and joy, and peace that linger even after all the wrapping has been gathered up and thrown away. Having the gifts of Christmas throughout the year means connecting with the giver, not just aiming at the gifts. Today, we're going to look at Mary's song of joy. From the Word of God, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 47. Context is Mary has, of course, discovered that she is with child. She's been married to this this man who's probably a stranger to her, and uh, and she is with her cousin Elizabeth, who also is married. And Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant." Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud to the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their and exalted those of state. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let's pray. God bless this word now, not only to understand it, but our hearts to receive it, and our lives through our hands and feet, we may live in Jesus' name. Two men stared out through prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. Have you ever heard that little couplet? Two men stared out through prison bars. One saw mud. It's possible to have joy in the midst of sorrow. It's possible to find joy in the middle of mourning, in the difficulty of your circumstances. It's possible. What's the difference in the men in the eye of the beholder? It's joy or sorrow. Joy is something that is different from happiness. You know, we say that happiness is, is something that's more circumstantial, right? And happiness is a byproduct of something else. So you don't try to aim at happiness, right? Just like we're talking about in the series, you don't try to aim for the gifts, you aim for God, the giver of all good things, right? But so too with happiness. Happiness is a byproduct. It's the result of doing something worthwhile. It's the result of, of a worthy pursuit. Happiness results from something that you accomplish, or something that you achieve, or something that you obtain, or something that's received, or some 
turn of events, but it's based in circumstance. Happiness is based in circumstance. The scriptures talk about this. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, joyful. Jesus is saying, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. What part of always do we not understand, right? It means that there is a joy that can be found that transcends the circumstances. Now, now what I'm not saying is, this isn't some sort of mind trick. We're not talking about some sort of mind trick. We're not talking about brainwashing ourselves into thinking that somehow our circumstances aren't painful, or that somehow uh, we can, uh, because we have the Spirit, we, we, we should never sorrow. Jesus says, uh, Paul, Paul says, uh, over and again in different ways, uh, you can grieve, of course we have permission to grieve, but we don't grieve as ones who lack a bigger perspective. And so this morning we're going to consider how do we keep joy, how do we have joy, how do we always keep joy? even above the circumstances. How, how does somebody do that? How do we have both joy and mourning at the same time? How can you be joyful in other words? And some of you may not feel very joyful. You may have a little bit of joy. I mean, this morning I walked into a, a, a room full of the, the band and, and there's always some something going on. Some kind of joke, some kind of we're messing around with each other. There's always some, some kind of laughter. The other night, our, our staff uh, Christmas party, we we came, uh, everybody came together, and uh, and we do this little gift exchange, and you can steal the, the people's gifts, and I had the last gift, and it ended up that it was some sort of wrap that was uh, it looked like I was you know at the spa or something like that, and they had a lot of uh, fun with that at my expense. I mean, I had chocolates, and it, it looked like I needed to get my nails done. Time I was done putting on all these things that I was supposed to, you know, that was my gift for the night. And, and there was a lot of laughter. But, but joy is something that no matter what's going on in the moment, we can tap into when, when, when we have a spirit to serve, a story to tell, and a song to sing. Someone who finds joy no matter what the circumstances are has a spirit to soar, a story to tell, and a song to sing. First, uh, a spirit to soar. If you're going to be joyful, if you're going to connect with God and in, in such a way that you can be full of joy, you have to have a spirit to soar. You have to be awake to the fact that, that who you is, who you are, who you gonna be is we're still learning English since 50 years there's a you that's not measurable it's more than some of your parts there's a you that's really you you know beyond that you know the, the, the dogs and the dolphins human beings have a spirit to soar not, not everybody has that same view of, uh, of who you is, of who you are. There's a you that's more than some of your parts. Christopher Hitchens is one of those who takes the view that, that there, there's just parts. And the sum total of your parts, that's you. 
there's not a you beyond what can be measured. Christopher Hitchens is part of this group that have been called the, the new atheist. He's since died. He died of cancer some years ago. And in the midst of his illness, uh, the, the physicians kept saying to him, your body is rejecting the treatment, or your body is not responding well, or your body is, is in your body, your body, body. And finally, he, he said to his physicians, he said, I don't have a body, I am a body. And I, I, I heard about this story, I, I read his quotation about that, that, I don't have a body, I am a body. And that's a particular view, it's called an a priori view, that's important. It's a technical term, a priori. It's before the evidence, or without knowing everything that there is to know, I have a particular view of what I can see. And a priori, before we know everything that there is to know, he has decided, he's looked at, at the evidence, and he said, there's no you beyond what you can measure. There's no, no me that's not body. And, and I... I start to think about that kind of thing, and, and I think of Chesterton's little quip. This is hard to get a wrap your mind around. He said, if there were no God, there would be no atheists. See, atheists always seem to be talking about God and about how he's not there. Why is Christopher Hitchens so bent in that moment of grief and sorrow and illness that he has to say to his physicians, something instructed to them. You see, he's sort of betraying the fact that there's a me in here. There's a me in here that's more than body. There's a hunger for transcendence. There is a desire and a, an appetite for eternity that we can't suppress entirely. We can't as much as we, we try to. Uh, let's let's tease out a different view. So that's the view that that, that the, the you that is the you that is 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 simply the sum of your parts, right? And I remember uh, I remember seeing these different layers one time. That there's more than the sum of our parts going on. When I was a senior in high school, we were on this thing called the Senior Challenge, and we went backpacking with our whole uh, our entire senior class went backpacking, and uh, we were out with really heavy packs in the rain and mud for about a week. And uh, I thought I knew these people. <laughs> you know, I'd, spent, I'd, I'd grown up with them, and I, I thought I knew who was who and what was what. And I discovered that I had made some mistakes in spending the time with people. I, spent time with. I thought, why didn't I spend more time with I mean, in the midst of these difficult circumstances, here, here this person is just really buoyant. You know, they're miserable too, right? I mean, their body is dealing with things. There's mud everywhere. There's rain everywhere. We're soaked. We're, we're cold. And yet, some people are responding well, and some people are, are whining and whining and whining. And here we are trudging up this mountain, and, and some people are, are and they, they have more energy, and they have more in them to give to other people, and others are doing their best just to kind of put one foot in front of the other. These are people th that I thought were, were really um, were really champs, you know, people who I had seen out on the ball field or on the ball court, and, 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 and they were very athletic or they were very confident, but when the circumstances were down, you begin to see what 
we get squeezed, what really comes out of a person? And you begin to see that, that, that we have you know, a physical response to our circumstances, we have an emotional response to our circumstances, and in the midst of these circumstances, here is Mary talking to herself. Who is it that's talking? Who is it that's, that's bringing this song? Who is it that's writing this, this, this artistic, poetic verse? Mary understands. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in Christ my Savior. Now, it, it, some people say that, that spirit and soul are used interchangeably here. This is the view that I have. I think there's a, there's a body and then there's a soul. And, 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 and I think there's a spirit, and the spirit is that the spirit is the part of you that's not physical. And the soul is the sum total of you. And so sometimes it's appropriate for soul and spirit to be used interchangeably, but I think we have to understand that, that there's a spirit of you that is more real than what you can measure. And, and when we're dealing with our emotions and we're trying to talk ourselves into having a, a better view of our circumstances and our bodies are dealing with something physical, there is a you that transcends all of that. You think, well, how is it that when you're talking about reason or emotion, how, how does it work to use reason to overcome your emotions? How did that work for you the last time you tried, right? Or when, when, a, when a child is throwing a temper tantrum and, and you try to reason with that child, how did that work? Emotions are powerful. And so for there to be a, a, a conversation that you're having, your spirit is having with your soul, there has to be a you in there that can have it. There has to be something that transcends the physical circumstances, that transcends the emotional circumstances, even the psychological circumstances. We need to have a spirit to rise, to be people who can meet joy where it is to be met, even in the midst of deep sorrow. People who have joy to the full connect with God because they have a spirit that can soar. Second, People who connect with God and find their joy full have a story to tell. They have a story. What story is Mary telling? She's not telling the story of just the moment. She sees her life within the sweep of history. What's your story? Do you know how you fit within that arc of history? Do you, do you understand that God is telling a story and you're a part of that story? Is his story your story? What story are you telling yourself? In the midst of your difficult circumstances, do you have a bigger, greater framework? That is the story to tell. To reframe something. This reframing is a term, a psychological term that people use to help people um, sort of reposition their thoughts, right? But you can't reframe in a way that really holds and is enduring apart from a big story, from the story that God is telling. I mean, try this sometime. Uh, you're feeling bad, you're feeling afraid, 
and, um, and, and then try the Bob Newhart approach to it. So Bob, Bob Newhart, he's, he, he, he does this little skit where this woman comes in and she's afraid of something and she tells him, it's very specific and it's horrible, I'm not going to say what it is. And she says, I'm, I'm afraid of this. And he says, oh, it's horrible. He says, well, I'm going to tell you two words, and I think this will help. And then um, she says, should I write this down? He said, well, it's just two words. Most people can, can kind of, they can remember it. And um, she says, okay, well, go ahead. I'm ready. And she says, he says, okay, stop it. Just stop it. And she says, I don't understand. And he says, what is there to understand? He says, next time you're, you're feeling that way, you're thinking those thoughts, those horrible thoughts, just stop it. And she says, so I'm just supposed to stop it? And he says, yes. Just stop it. And so she tells some other things that are going on with her, and he just keeps saying, stop it, just stop it. Try that. See how it goes. Apart from a story, it's very difficult to reframe. Feelings your circumstances. Somebody who's joyful in the moment, even in difficult circumstances, has a bigger story, a story to tell. I love that that, um, that, that that scene in the story of Blood Diamond, the, the movie, and I think it's a book, but I, I watched the movie. It's a movie that um, where a father is trying to rescue his son who's been captured, this young boy who's been captured in South Africa, and and he has been turned into the, this sort of, a, in, in this guerrilla warfare, he has been turned into a soldier. They've, they've gotten him drunk. They have uh, they've been manipulating him with alcohol. They've been uh, they blindfold him and have him shoot. And he, they unblindfold him and they discover that they, they shot somebody that they had captured. And, and they turn them into these, um, these machines for, for killing. And there's this scene where the father uh, captures or rescues the son. The son is he's trying to rescue the son and the son shows up and he has a handgun and it's pointed right at the father. And, and you think he's about to, to execute them. And the father starts to tell the son the story. He says, Dion. Dion. Your dog at home misses you. The cows long for you. You are, you are a child of the Menende tribe. My son, and you will come back again to be part of the family. And you just watch him as he's telling the story, and he's speaking this narrative, and this bigger story that reframes this boy's experience. He says, I know you've done some horrible things, but you not are not a horrible boy. You will be my son again. You see, this is the story that Mary in verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. What are those things? Well, these are some of the things that he's done for her. And you can see it's a bigger story she's telling. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud and the thoughts in their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. 
He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Moses has a song too. It's Psalm 90. He says, God, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What's the story that you're telling yourself? What is the story of your life? Is it anything less than everlasting to everlasting? If not, then it's not a big enough story for the human spirit. Joyful people. People who are filled with joy. Have a spirit to soar. A story to tell. But they also have a song to sing. People who connect with God in such a way that he completes their joy, that, that they find joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances, have a song to sing. This is called Mary's song. The Magnificat is based on this song, this, these verses. And, and, and you know that it's been preserved because it's, here it is written on the page. And yet, think of Mary and what she dealt with. She watched her own son suffer and die, and still her song lives on. Still, her song was recorded. Those moments with Elizabeth where she, she, she wrote this down, she conveyed it, she wanted it to be preserved for generation to generation. So it would be part of the story that God is telling. Despite all that Mary dealt with and saw and experienced as a mother, things that no mother should have to ever experience, her song is preserved. Her song lives on because she understood that she was part of that bigger, bigger story. But, but not only the lyrics, but there is a melody here. There's a melody. People who are joyful have a melody to their life. That they sing, they have a song to sing because their song transcends the moment. Their song transcends the moment. Think of the, the songs that we have in this book. The songs are songs. The songs are songs. The opening song Psalm 1 sort of frames up or is a banner over the entire book of the Psalms. And, it, and, it, and it's based upon a tree, a tree that, that is, is, is beside waters and its roots go down. And as its roots go down, its leaf never withers. Despite the fact that there are seasons, dry seasons and, 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 and seasons of drought, its roots continue to bring fruitful joy. Psalm 84 is another one that's always struck me as a beyond-the-circumstances kind of song. It talks about a pilgrim who's going up from, from the valley far, far away, days away from Jerusalem, going up to the mountain of Zion on his way up He's singing songs. These are called the Psalms of Ascent. And as they're making their way towards Jerusalem, there 
are certain regions that are very dry where you better have packed some water. But there's a there's a line in the middle of Psalm 84 that has always struck me, and it's a line that I've turned to again and again in times of dryness or sorrow. And it says, even across the driest valleys, a pilgrim makes it a place of springs. Do you see the image? You the rocks. There's no spring, no lake, there's no river, there's, there's no rain. And yet in the midst of deep sorrow, in the midst of arid landscape, there is something that you can dig for and tap into that's available to you no matter what. And you know what this is. You've experienced it. But you've experienced it probably for only fleeting moments, and yet those fleeting moments have told you that there is something transcendent about all creation that you can tap into at any time. There have been moments on a starry night, you think of Van Gogh and what he's trying to say through his, his painting, his image, one of the most prized and one of the most beautiful and celebrated paintings in all human history called Starry, Starry Night. You see it all over the place, on coffee mugs and what has become cliche. Why? Because people resonate with it. They know what he's talking about. They know what he's trying to say. That on the starriest, starriest night, that there's something that speaks that's bigger than the stars, that's more than what Christopher Hitchens can measure. You know it. You've experienced it. You've seen it on a, on, on a, on a, in a sunset or on a sunrise, and you've had those moments where there's just this powerful, inexplicable mystery, which is bigger than lyrics. It's more than words. It's melody. The music of the universe sometimes just bursts into your consciousness. And you see, as Van Gogh would paint, an enchanted world. You can see and you can hear it. You tap into it. I wanted to read to you something that uh, of our elders read at our annual meeting last uh, last week, our annual officers joint meeting. He read out of this book called Leadership by Don Cousins. Something that I think says what we are all about when we tap into that joy. Joy becomes that fountain that must find its way out in some kind of artistic expression or some way into your profession or in some way into your life. It's a melody that no matter whether you're a baker, a butcher, or candlestick maker, you are bringing the song of joy into all that you do, and you can do this. Cousin says this, God has given us a different piece of his heart for the world. When we bring each piece to the work of service, we collectively display the heart of God to one another and to the world. No one of us has a heart big enough to contain the heart of God for humankind. No one of us has the time and energy to be involved in all that needs to take place. So God gives each of us a passion, a love, if you will, for some dimension of his work. And as that comes out, that is your expression of joy. It's the music. It's a song that you sing. What is the song that you're singing? 
Wendell Holmes said that many people die with their music still in them. Too often it's because they're always getting ready to live before they know it. Time runs out. What's the song that you're singing? What's your song? What's the melody that goes with the lyrics and the story of your life? Do you have a spirit to soar? Do you have a story to tell? Have you tapped into the deep reservoir of joy that's available to you above the circumstances? Let's pray again. Holy God, we thank you for making our joy complete. And we pray that in this season you would help us to tap that root, root even deeper. That we may find what we're looking for. That you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. In Jesus' name.